the things in my childhood uh, that has helped me actually later on in life was the fact that we moved every two years being you know, from one naval base to another. So I was always the new girl in school. I was always the one that was slightly different because, you know, I was half Indian, half Irish. And I learned very quickly that, you know, when you get into a new situation, you know, it's sink or swim. You've got to adapt. You've got to talk. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Warrior Queen Project podcast for its second season. We are so excited today to introduce you to an amazing person, Mira Teresa Gandhi. She is an exceptional high achiever. She's somebody who has been what we at the Warrior Queen Project talk about, mother, daughter, sister, friend, but above all, a warrior. So I would like to ask Mira, who has been a philanthropist, a mother, a businesswoman, a television show host, an author, a spiritual yogi. She has done so much in life. She has received several awards. She has received also sponsored the Woodstock Film Festival, where she presents the Mira Gandhi Giving Back Award, author of a recent book, which we are going to hear about. And she believes in health, wellness and spirituality. So this is the wonderful warrior that we need to ask her how she does it all. So welcome, Mira, to our podcast. Thank you, Swati. I'm so happy that we can do this. We've known each other for such a long time. And you yourself are a warrior achiever. And over the years, it's been very exciting for me to support you in so many of your projects and your daughter's projects and to walk part of that journey with you. So I'm very excited that we can chat. Uh, to answer yes. your question, uh, how do I do it all? Well, I do it one moment at a time. I, I like to do things very thoroughly. And my big mantra is do it once, do it right. I really hate redoing and I hate it when my team has to redo anything because I feel like if you're intentional and you're conscious and you're doing it to the best of your ability, then usually it's your best work. And so I try to do that. And as a result, I, I do get a lot done. I'm a big list person. Uh, my kids always laugh because at the beginning of every year, um, I stopped actually doing alcohol New Year's Eve about 15 years ago, because I feel like the day before going into the new year, I really want to be intentional about what I want to accomplish during the year, what I want to do. And I write down my goals 
Um, if someone on my team hands me my black book, I'll actually flash it to you. It's quite funny. And I actually check off the goals. I highlight goals that are in progress. If I'm halfway through the year and I'm not there, then it gets an orange highlight. So it's a, it's an intentional process. It's a joyful process. I do it because I want to do it. And like you, I think people who are in a position where we have received so much, I think the onus is on us is to really live true to that journey and accomplish things which take people on the journey with us and that elevate others' lives. So Great, great. But I'm going to rewind a little when you say people like us. At least I can speak for myself. The journey has been a huge struggle. When I say, you know, like, say you support me, I support you. It's really about not financially supporting, but we support each other through goodwill and goodness and saying encouraging each other, which is so important, which I know you talk about in your book. And I wanted you to tell me a little about your early journey. You know, you grew up in India, then you moved all over the world. I want you to tell us how that shaped you and what advice you would give younger people who are in that position, because, you know, we've all arrived at a certain destination. I just want you to take us down the path of all the challenges that you faced as you went along. Well, um, I am the product of uh, uh, an Irish mother and an Indian father. So um, on, on some level, it was a very sort of global upbringing because I was brought up with values of East and the West. My mom, obviously, being, you know, Caucasian, white, Irish, uh, brought us up. Christian, we went to church, I was staunch Catholic, went to Sunday school, um, and with that core value system. And my father, being in the Navy, was extremely disciplined about many things. Um, one of the things in my childhood uh, that has helped me actually later on in life was the fact that we moved every two years, being you know, from one naval base to another. So I was always the new girl in school. I was always the one that was slightly different because, you know, I was half Indian, half Irish. And I learned very quickly that, you know, when you get into a new situation, you know, it's sink or swim. You've got to adapt. You've got to talk to people because, you know, they are already there. You're the new person entering. And um, it, it prepared me for life because we moved a lot. We moved, we were in, um, I'm, when I got married, I was in Boston. We got our MBAs. Then we moved, we were in Port Washington. Then we moved to New York. Then we moved to India. After India, we came back when we moved from Midtown to the Upper East Side. And that's a whole new bunch of friends. And then from there, we moved to Hong Kong, lived in Hong Kong. After that, lived in London, went back, lived in India for a bit and back. So there was a lot of moving and a lot of juggling and a lot of moving parts, um, handling kids on different continents. So it's been a journey, uh, in some ways, a privileged journey, but definitely with its challenges. I mean, sometimes I've been so like jet lagged and so spaced out, like trying to learn how to, to deal with that and function um, was definitely challenging at times. And then, uh, you know, I had some challenges in my own personal situation as we grew successful. I had some some pressures on my marriage. But you know what? I think that if you stay centered to your consciousness and your 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 inner um your inner calling i think one is able to weather it all and i know satguru talks about it a lot but i 
talk to young people about this. If you listen to your conscience and you really stay centered in who you are, I think whatever happens outside can't rock your inside. I mean, at least we shouldn't let it. And I think my life has been an example of that. I've just continued marching on in spite of, you know, different obstacles. Yes, I see that. I I see that, which is... So wonderful to see. And I think that is something I, I urge the youngsters to kind of look at role models um, of people who have continued because, you know, as a later question, I do want to say, how has failure in any part of life taught you wisdom? And how would you equate that failure with the wisdom, which I think is the culmination of your book, the three tips, the essentials for joy, for peace, joy, and success. So if you could tell me what what you would advise people as they walk through life and their failures. Um, sometimes we, uh, there are distinctive failures in, in moments when we do the wrong thing or in moments when we don't do our best or in moments where we take people for granted or in moments where we take our life for granted. I think that's a failure of sort because you're not embracing the moment and really understanding what life has offered you. But on the other hand, sometimes what are man-made constructs of failure are not necessary failures. I think they are all, and the more time I spend with myself and in meditation and understanding the universe, that sometimes these failures are actually, they put you back on the path. They really take you back on the path and they are meant to keep us on the path. And I've said this a lot that, you know, the idea of evolution is that so that we can really live our best life on the planet and in sync with the universe. So when we are like forcing ourselves to do things that are, that are not part of the greater destiny or not part of the universal synchronicity, then the universe sort of forces you back on the path. And we think of that as a failure or a misstep or something. But as we look back, nine out of 10 times, um, it's meant to be. But I also say that when we make mistakes, and sometimes we I've made, God knows I've made so many mistakes. I think I'm the most qualified to write this book because I've made so many mistakes. And uh, I, I it's been such a journey of learning. But I think the foolishness is if we don't learn from our mistakes and we keep doing, uh, you know, as they say, the definition of insanity is keep doing the wrong thing over and over again. And, you know, the outcome is not going to be favorable to you. So I think the lesson in this is to learn from our mistakes. And uh, if we're not learning from our mistakes, then then I think we're really doing something wrong. Wonderful. So I see very early, almost I think you mentioned at the age of 16, you worked very closely with Mother Teresa. Could you tell us a little about that? And is that where that philanthropy and giving back bug got into you? Uh, I, I, I would say uh, this whole thing of giving back, one was really nurtured by my mother, who always uh, had this philosophy, you know, like if someone... Uh, if you can do something or make someone's life better, you should do it. So really, I would say my mother instilled it in us earlier on, but definitely going to Ashadan and working there continuously every Saturday throughout my entire two high school years um, taught me almost by osmosis that it's a joyful process. I would love taking the bus to Baikala and going to Ashadan and 
playing with the kids and feeding them. And then after it was sort of a, you, you arrive and then it's, you play time, you play with them. And then their lunch, that's breakfast. It's 1130. You start feeding the children and the children are handicapped. So when you feed them, remember, you're trying to put a spoonful in their mouth and then one hand will go there, one leg. So it's kind of a messy process. So after all the kids were fed, then typically we would, uh, there was one sort of tap and then there was also a hose. I always loved hosing them down because I felt like you get the kids really clean, towel them and then put clothes on them. In fact, when I first went at 16, I was horrified because all their clothes are just in one pile. It's like a community concept. There were no closets and this is your clothes. It's everyone's things are everyone. Everyone's tricycles are everyone's. Everyone's clothes are everyone. So that that was like quite an awakening to me. But anyway, you go to the pile of clothes and find the clothes that fit whatever child you're dressing, then put them into bed pat them to bed. I usually would take two cots and I would sit in the middle and I would pat children on either side. Um, And I remember going back just every time I did that, I just came home feeling so happy. And I met Mother Teresa many times and people have said to me, oh my God, were you awestruck? You were like in the presence of such greatness. You know, when you're 16, you don't really you don't really understand it. Mother Teresa was there. All All the nuns were in the saris. I mean, mother was around and special and when she hugged you, you know, I always feel like those hugs lasted a lifetime. But I never really realized uh, how deeply I was being impacted by the, you know, the things she said to me. Um, uh, one day, she, you know, she used to pray at three o'clock when she, you know, couldn't be disturbed. One day she invited me to kneel and pray with her, which was her really her sacred time. And I remember that energy field. I still remember that prayerful moment. I think that has impacted like the meditation I do now. I mean, we really don't know what pieces impact us along the way, but um, I think Mother Teresa definitely had a huge impact on at least understanding that so much joy comes from making other people feel good or saying a kind word or or not re- retaliating or like taking the higher road. Um, and these are all things that I, I really try to actively practice in my life. Wonderful, especially the higher road. When, when we are also trying to teach women today about self-advocacy and saying, speak up, you know, it, it goes into a space of speaking about yourself and really trying to make the right decisions because there's no black and white. It's really navigating a path. And I come back to your book, which is about the essentials for personal peace, joy and success, I guess. Yes. And I see that there's a lot of praise for your book. Uh, from from Sadhguru and from Kimberly and Stephen Rockefeller and from Shabana Azmi and Kerry Kennedy. So I just uh, wanted to ask us if you can tell us about some of the three tips that you have so that our viewers and listeners can pick up the book and read it and try to navigate their own lives. Well, um, you just touched on something which is when you counsel women to to advocate for themselves. Um, One of the things in my book I talk about is setting boundaries because I have struggled with that. Sometimes I feel like if you give an inch, people want to take a mile. And so I've struggled a little bit with that. And I've come up with three tips on setting boundaries. And the first is if something doesn't feel completely right, then have you opened that? Let me look at it. Okay. So um, uh, 
okay, I'm, I'm going to come to this later. Um, so the three tips on, on setting personal boundaries that I've shared in the book are first, if something doesn't feel right, then you know that someone is crossing a line and feel free to say no. And actually something just happened on Sunday and I did exercise exactly that tip from my book. Uh, the second tip on personal uh, boundaries that I talk about is um, it's okay to say no. I mean, we have, as women, we are taught that, you know, you have to say yes to everything. Sometimes it's okay to say no, because even by saying no, sometimes we save other people. I mean, recently someone wanted to come and do a podcast with me and she was willing to like fly down from another country. And it was, I just felt that it was just a bit too much. And she was happy to come and stay in the area. And 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 we we just said, you know, it's okay. Let's just, Let's just do it via Zoom. And I'm sure that in that exercising that, it was useful. It saved the other person a lot of time. It saved us time. And we exercised sort of a boundary. And then the third tip I have given in the book about boundaries is that um, we have to learn from our experiences. If in the past something has happened and we know that it has not served us right, let's not just to acquiesce or make people happy, make the same mistake and agree to it. We've learned from our mistakes. Let's just say this is not comfortable and exercise a boundary. So um, these are three tips I would give young, especially young women who are coming into the workspace or they, they want to please their bosses or they want to please their parents with career choices or they want to please their spouses or their boyfriends. Or um, These are three very essential tips. And if you keep them in mind, chances are um, you will be able to take the high road as well as make good decisions for your life. Wonderful. And I do know that you have a very talented, wonderful daughter as well. And did you, bringing up Kiran, have you used some of those tips to make her a strong advocate as she is one? Um, if you could touch on that for young mothers who are bringing up daughters. Um, very much so. I mean, every everything that is in the book, it's not, as, as you've seen, it's a very thin book. It's a not very thick book, but everything is based on life lessons because I really believe in walking the talk. I've experienced it. I've understood it, which is why I've written about it. It's sort of a tried and tested kind of manual, if you will. With my oldest daughter, Kiran, who is today a well-known performer, influencer, who is actually leading the LGBT gay rights and personal rights movement. She, um, I think of all my three children, Kiran grew up very close to me because she was my oldest. And I tended to do a lot of almost everything with Kiran, even when she was small and I was going to class. I mean, she was born in my second year while I was getting my MBA at Boston University. I literally would strap her to my stomach and take her to class. So Kiran grew up extremely close to me. And um, I, by the time Kiran was in even lower school, we moved to India. I um, I always took them to school while taking them to school, talked about energy, setting up the day, talked to Kiran. Kiran was the oldest, so we had a lot of talks about peer pressure. We had talks about growing up on the Upper East Side. And and it was a little challenging for me because I did not grow up in America, let alone New York and let alone the Upper East Side, which is a culture unto itself. So I was sort of trying to guide her from instinct. 
But I feel with Kiran, yes, uh, a lot of it came directly from me. And I think for the, for the younger two, I think a lot of it came from Kiran to them. So, yeah, I think Kiran has definitely grown up very much um, under my, 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 my guiding eye, uh, for lack of a better expression. Wonderful. So your, your advice to women who are bringing up daughters on the Upper East Side would be? Question well, mark. Well, well, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, I'll just use the Upper East Side, Upper East Side as a random example. But no, I agree with general. you. It is a culture. I agree with you. It is very much a, a city by itself, rules by itself. And especially for Asian Americans. So I think when you had your children and I had my son at St. Bernard's and daughter at Brearley, there were a handful of brown children in those seven, eight schools. I would literally say you could count them on one hand. Yeah, I mean, at that time, and we're talking 20 years ago, it was a diversity factor. Uh, but I would say generally to, to mothers who are bringing up children around the world, uh, my advice would be, and I talk about it in the book of uh, good parenting, uh, I give three very clear tips. The first one I say, always listen to your children because they are telling you something that they've experienced and children are very truthful. And from that, you can really understand the situation or what they're going through. The second is to completely implicitly trust your children. I've always trusted my children. If they said, oh, I don't feel like I want to do this, I don't want to do a class or I don't want to do something, I've always trusted that they are feeling something, whatever the reason is, and I've always um, deferred to that. And the third thing I would tell parents is really love your children unconditionally because we are the first point of contact between the children and the universe. So this is where trust, self-esteem, uh, strong emotional sensibility, it all comes from our relationship with them. And recently, uh, I actually had the opportunity to talk to and work with a young Asian uh, girl who's now actually a dear friend of mine and someone I I, I really uh, look up to. And she had a very tumultuous uh, time growing up because her Asian parents never really spoke to her. The dinner table was quiet. They never shared. It was a very sort of, and, um, and, and today, you know, she really talks about how she hankers for that and how she has made so many shifts in her life to, um, to heal from that and to, to grow from that. So I think unconditional love, listening and um just trusting these three would be my tips to parents really anywhere upper east side india goa london turkey ireland Africa, wonderful anywhere yeah sometimes um yes it is generic but i often say that asian american is what we uh, feel that america has had less Asian American uh, opportunities. And we've seen that both in film, both in, you know, in 95 years is the first time that an Asian woman won an Oscar or that the film that we made the warrior queen, which is this project is based on is the first film in Hollywood with a Brown woman in the lead role in the history of Hollywood. So we specifically talk about 
women here who are Asian Americans not having a good role model to look at when they look at a film and saying, that's what I want to look like. So we were so excited, you know, when when recently there was so much of success with three uh, Asian Americans winning Oscars and were delighted with it. So I think that was very super helpful. Amazing and super creditable. Absolutely. So we were very delighted and, you know, been congratulating all the the stars and the producers and the directors, because we know what that journey so many others must have taken to, you know, bring it to a culmination. So I would like to touch on your Giving Back Foundation again, because do you have fundraisers once a year? Do you have them at different countries, different places? And how do you share the funds on mental health? So if you could help us a little with because you address mental health and mental wellness, which is so important today all over the world. Um, you know, in fact, even more than physical health, because it affects everybody at every age. So um, let me know what you can share with us on the Giving Back Foundation and how people can give to it and how the funds are dispersed. So um, the first myth I have to uh demystify is the fact that the Giving Back Foundation, we actually have not received a penny from outside, which is incredible because we I do we do everything from within. When I was married to my ex-husband, uh, we funded it ourselves. And then when I got divorced, I was funding it from my own personal, like I like I would be like, okay, I'll buy one Chanel less, but I'll give six thousand a year. I'll do this, I'll do that. So um, I raise a lot of money, interestingly enough, for other charities, but I have not raised a penny for my own charity. All the events we do are usually self-funded and they are done with the intention of disseminating information or uplifting people or doing retreats. So I am getting to a point where obviously I do need to raise money for the Giving Back Foundation. And again, I think a lot of people feel, oh my God, like Mira has money. So uh and she wants to do charity, let her do it. But I'm doing everything from myself. So um, I've not received a single penny from outside, which is mind boggling because we've accomplished so much. And it's lucky that I have a team that's very dedicated and we work like on this shoestring budgets. Um, but in order to remedy this, I am now launching a, my line of products to um, of which a percentage will go to the foundation. So I can just grow old doing the work I love to do and hopefully the products will take a life um, of them on of themselves. Uh, the actual foundation, we have three very clear missions. The first is to empower through education. I always felt that uh, my ex-husband and I came here and were super successful because we were just incredibly well educated from a convent school to cathedral to then I went to United World Colleges, after which uh, I was top of my class at Delhi University, economics honors, came here, was at Boston University, got an MBA. Then I went back to Harvard to do an exec ed. So uh, definitely we and Vikram, uh, obviously uh, having an MBA from Harvard University helped him no end on his Wall Street career. I mean, we were bright when we came, but your education teaches you those analytical skills. It opens doors. It 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 really separates the wheat from the chaff. So that was our way of giving back that we would empower people. So we gave we gave grants. We run a school in India where girls are from six 
to 16. We have six in every year. It's soup to nuts. We pay for the hostel, the living, uniforms, food, everything. Uh, the second uh, pillar is to empower and to be a catalyst for positive dialogue. So we sponsored the Woodstock Film Festival uh, Giving Back Award for actor, director, producer, person who produces positive content. We have sponsored millennials, people who want a stage, people who want to bring a piece of poetry, music. I mean, uh, recently I sponsored uh, Dat Garcia, a musician slash filmmaker who wanted to come to South by Southwest and couldn't afford to buy her air ticket and housing to be here for 10 days. So, you know, we sponsored her and, you know, word gets around and we are, people get in touch with us from everywhere. I don't know how, and we try to do the best we can. Sometimes we directly can't pay for something, but then I will put them in touch with someone who will do it. And I've never had to ask favors for myself, but I am unabashedly okay with calling someone saying, oh, do you want to sponsor this? Or this person is really worthy you know, do you want to send them some money? So um, we're sort of a catalyst to spread this positivity. The last is, of course, the mental wellness. I think through COVID, we all understood it, but I was beginning to feel this in, in 2013, 2014. I was beginning to feel the pressure of the pressure of travel, the pressure of relationships, the pressure of a, a marriage that was breaking down, the pressure of handling children that are going on to next steps, the pressure of parents getting old, pressure of father having strokes. I mean, all the things that everyone goes through. And that's when I realized that uh, to be mentally tough and to be mentally well is so important. And it doesn't just happen. We have to actively have tools to manage it. And we have to actively take people on this journey through kind words, through supporting. Small words can shift people. I mean, you know this, you walk into a store and you say something pleasant and you just shift someone or you say something kind, or it doesn't matter whether you're at a gas station or an airport or a, or a railway station or everyday life. I mean, we can actively shift people and it's all a process of mental mental wellness and making people aware. So to this, to this end, we started the, the three tips on Instagram, which we run almost every other week. We also have the app. Uh, I did the TV show on on love. I, it's a 13 part on B for You TV. We did an episode. Yes, on it's one minute uh, each, right? One minute. That's um, one minute. We also did uh, a, a long show on B for You, which we did 13 episodes of half an hour each. So yeah, it's been uh, all all part of trying to I don't know to to make the world a a less severe, more sort of softer gentler walk you know through life how are you able to kind of say my plate is full or do you still find the time to kind of overburden yourself and overextend yourself when when uh, people ask i uh this is this is something i it's very it's been in the past very hard for me to say no do you want to chair this oh yes i'll do it uh, do, do you do you want to fly to dubai and like take father out yes i'll do it do you do you want to come to london and see kiran perform there yes i'll do it and and i had to learn the hard way because uh that 
is it, after a while it's stupid because you start to you dilute yourself when you show up you're tired you're not showing up on your game you're not showing up present uh, so i've had to learn actually the hard way by by that that's one of the mistakes i've made in the past and now i i really try to look at the whole picture you know it's not just showing up to something it's it's the preparation what am i going to talk about who is benefiting do i really need to be there is there someone else who can do it uh, 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 what is the month looking like um and uh, actively actively balance my time so i think i've learned how to do this and meditation also uh, sets you up for that because you are more present and you're able to in that moment not be so scattered and say yeah i'll do it to make more thoughtful um decisions and send thoughtful answers i've stopped replying to emails on the fly i have become more conscious about that because if i'm slower then chances are people will receive the information more slowly and we slow down this mad train um and i feel like when you come into a position of leadership the onus is on you to set a very uh realistic and a very decent pace i also think i moved to the hudson river now i live in nature i mean i never knew from one season to the other summer winter spring it all just passed me by and now i find that you know i i can see the buds coming out and i actively look at oh my god like these buds were not there yesterday or like the grass is getting greener i mean i never lived in i've been a city girl i've never had the chance to live in nature like this so i think when you live in nature too you become inherently a a kinder softer person because you understand that how we are so intrinsically connected with every thought i mean all the time i mean i know when someone's thinking about me i you know the the, the we have we have a condition i mean obviously speaking is a it an art is an artificial tool we were meant to communicate through our thought waves and so when we are present and we are like this we are able to uh deflect things change things send out positive energy i mean you've heard of the hermit who sat in the himalayas and he was changing the energy of the planet because we actually can do that through our powerful god energy so um yeah that's my long answer to your question but definitely i've learned the hard way uh how to manage my time and 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 some ways i think i've become more efficient too because i am doing the things that i am good at and i'm contributing the things that i'm good at so i i'm uh, the bandwidth is much it's it's stronger it's a better bandwidth no i think well said i'm i'm thinking of all the buds behind you as as we speak and nature and the color of the water changing and the sky so it's it's um a beautiful landscape that you have painted out and uh, coming to that with with you've touched on all the mental health issues and joy and success and what what does success mean to you personally so i'm very clear at this stage in my life what success means to me and success to me is in any given moment if i am really living in peace within myself when my external world and my internal world is truthful am i really living my truth am am i am i walking the path that i'm thinking am i really understanding my beliefs am i really in sync that's a a, a and to able to be able to speak your truth takes courage and that's a big part of success i think being able to live the life i want to live to have enough abundance to 
to do the things I want to do, to to travel, to help, to to do things for my kids, to do things for friends, to to have a thought and be like to be able to say, oh my God, I want to create a fragrance line, to, to be able to have the ability to just do that or the ability to say, oh my God, okay, tomorrow I'll go to Israel from there. Okay, I'll go to Dubai. I'll take my parents to Bangkok for a family wedding and make sure everything is taken care of for them. I mean, all being able to do all this is, is what I think of as success, to be able to to walk the path and and and, and accomplish my dreams and to have all the tools to be able to do that is success. I used to look at success as very outward, which there's a stage for everything. If I if I showed up looking good and people said really good things about me, I mean, I felt really successful in that moment. It is a part of success. But uh, today I've grown. I mean, it's beyond that. I've got to feel good within myself. And that's very important to my, my sense of being successful. Am I able to really be my authentic self? Do I have the freedom to do that? To me, that's success. And today, I think I'm really walking that path. And and to me, that's a big part of that's a big part of feeling successful. I can write. I can write my days. I can write my chapters. I can help shift people's lives. I mean, today I'm in a position where if someone crosses my path, I am able to really make a difference in their lives. Uh, to me, that's that's being successful. You're able to actually help so many people uh, do things they would have never done if they didn't cross my path. These are all part. This is this is these are all things um, that contribute to making me feel that that is what success is about. Um, I also see that you're working, or uh, maybe. Uh... I got an invite on something you're doing with Sadhguru. Is yes. that something you're working closely with him in Los Angeles? Uh, so Sadhguru is, Sadhguru is going to be in um, in the U.S. And he's got a couple of events, which he's now opening to the public. It's going to be free of charge. There's one in Atlanta and there's one in Los Angeles. He has other paid events too at his ashram in Tennessee, but he's doing this outreach to really also work on peace of mind and wellness and and to curate solutions to everyday problems. And he has this, I find, uh, I found that in 2016, when I met him, he actually came to my house to Diwali's. I mean, now I look back, I mean, he's such a global icon, but 2016, Jakob uh, from Citibank said, no, you're going to do a Diwali party for this guru from India. It was Sadhguru. That was 2015. No, 2016. And then 2017, two years in a row, he was in my townhouse for Diwali. And then I started meditating and working with him closely. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Catholic. So essentially, you know, I don't philosophically have any gurus, but yes, do I follow his teachings? Yes. Do they make sense to me? Yes. And for that reason, I want people to 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 benefit from that wisdom. So yeah, I am uh, promoting his programs. I am encouraging people to to do the meditation he teaches because it's three yoga asanas, it's three pranayams, and then it's very easy to meditate. Um, I like his. I like his philosophy to life and you know I like the fact that you know he always says I was a vagabond before I was like biking all over uh I feel like he's very realistic about life and I think he is 
he is the pulse of now because people don't go to church they don't go to temples as often so uh they need someone who is an authority on it and he manages his life and his he drinks only distilled water from a copper urn so he's managing his atomic life and his thinking and so i think he has a lot of clarity and we need people who have clarity that want to guide people for a totally altruistic reason like he wants to guide people so their life is better we have too many leaders in the world that are leading us on the path of doom and destruction creating wars killing young people taking unnecessary power struggles i mean there's enough of like unconscious leadership so that's why i support satguru because i feel like it's conscious leadership that is helping enormous numbers of people and when i met yeah, him this by tremendous asked, he has a tremendous he sense of humor he is yeah. funny he is uh, yeah, so you know and, and he's he's an amazing uh, orator and speaker and spiritual guide so yeah i i think it's easy to follow him and it's good to know people in the world who can share goodness and laughter without um, religious boundaries you know which is so important in today's time you know that spirituality is so important rather than which religion anyone belongs to and and that's real globalization i think which he's done so it's wonderful that you're supporting him and and promoting um his work in america as well Do do you have any upcoming projects um would you be writing a book about your life I'm sure you would but no I'm not I I don't know if anyone wants to read a book about my life my idea is to really spread um to spread the wisdom that I've gained over the years some of it through osmosis I was some of it I was born with Uh, and for a long time i didn't want to, to talk about it because i was always afraid i was like oh my god you know i'm i'm living on park avenue and i i sort of at least outwardly have this very comfortable life people are going to judge me they're like oh now you're going to you're going to pontificate and tell us what to do so for a long time i was really afraid i didn't have the courage to do it and during covid i don't know that sort of shifted i was like sitting here on the hudson and i thought no you know i was talking to so many people on the phone people were calling me I mean I didn't have a single alone moment people would call me from morning to evening to talk about issues to talk about things and that's when I realized actually I do have something to offer and that gave me sort of the courage to do the book um but when you were talking about satguru there's one thing I did want to share with our listeners is that we are in a age of a uh, collective consciousness there's a collective consciousness awakening you are of course the queen of spreading sanskriti and culture so you know this we've come into the uh the what yug is this the the light yug i don't know the hindi term for it you probably know kala yug kala yug so so in this yug we it's meant to be transparency through computers the digital age through mental awakening so i think the timing for all this is right and i think i just happen to be in the flow somewhat in a pop culture esque way because i've condensed it into bite size information but also in a way that gen z the alpha the beta the generation can uh at least read the tips and shift themselves you know 
I'll never be, I never, I never had the intention of being a guru, a philosopher, because that's not me. I mean, I'm, I want to live my life in a normal way, but I feel this is a very, this is a gift to be able to give this kind of information in this sort of bite-sized manner. And um, so I think this is where the book comes in or my sort of current, the current direction my life is going in. Well, I'm definitely getting one of your signed copies of the book, Mira, and sure. recommend it uh, to others who could always benefit. The one thing I've learned in life, none of us ever know answers to everything. And it's good to have people and friends in your life and honest and courageous people who can learn from their failures, talk about them and never think of failure as failure because you can't be successful without failure. So you have really shared a lot with us today. We're very excited to go through your book and check out the Giving Back Foundation, which I would encourage everyone to go to and find out more about how they can support different causes and uh, help other people, especially in the path of education, which is the greatest gift we can give anybody on this planet. So thank you so much, Mira, for giving us your time. Thank you. And wishing you good health, spirituality, and may you be energetic to keep spreading that good energy. Thank you, Swati. And right back at you. So much love. Thank you. You too. Take care. So this is the Warrior Queen Project and we pick our warriors. So for this week, it is Mira Gandhi. Well, and can you do that as well?